and a newspaper reporter went to interview him. And he asked him about his life and what he thought the greatest testimony of his life was. And the man thought about it for a moment and he said, I have no enemies whatsoever. And the reporter was astounded and he said, what an inspiring thought to have lived life for a hundred years and to have no enemies. And then the hundred-year-old man said, I outlived them all. (laughs) You knew that was coming, didn't you? We're going to be looking at that in Psalm 3. The whole notion of having enemies or foes who oppose us, who rise up against us in opposition to whatever we are trying to accomplish in our lives. That was David's experience here in Psalm 3. It says that Psalm 3 is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And this is a story told in 2 Samuel chapter 15. But Absalom was David's son. He was the brother of Tamar. And Tamar, of course, was uh, the, the young woman who Ammon, David's other son, had violated. And this had all come about in David's life because of his sin against God, where he lusted after Bathsheba, took her to himself, ultimately ended up killing her husband. She became impregnated by David, and the child died. And God, in judgment of David, said, The sword will not depart from your house, David. This sin that you have committed in secret will be known to the whole nation. Everyone within the nation will know what you have done. And this rebellion that Absalom, David's son, spearheaded was a part of the consequence of David's sin, the sword not departing from David's house. When Absalom created this conspiracy. It was a strong conspiracy. Absalom was the leader. Ahithophel, David's trusted counselor, had joined with Absalom. Over 200 of David's important leaders had left David and joined with Absalom in the rebellion. And there were many others throughout the nation who were supportive of the rebellion. You'll remember the story of Shammai, the descendant of King Saul, as David was leaving Jerusalem, crossing the Kidron Valley. He was cursing David, calling David a man of blood. What an ignoble departure for the anointed of the Lord. But that was what was going on. And that is the setting within which David writes these words. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And as I said, it was a strong conspiracy. There were many in key positions who had determined to rise up against David and support Absalom in his rebellion. And David recognizes this. He doesn't ignore the reality of it. He acknowledges 
that he has many foes that have risen up against him. And in fact, he says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Why do you suppose that was? Well, it was because David had sinned against God. And in fact, in Psalm 51, we read David's own words. Against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. So here was David. The fulfillment of his sin coming to bear. The rebellion of Absalom gaining strength against him. And David's own acknowledgement of his sin against the Lord. And the people from that perspective saying, God's not going to help him. God has forsaken him because of his sin. God will not deliver him. Have you ever felt like David? Have you ever been in that position where it just seems like they're coming from all directions? Everything seems to be calculated against you. And perhaps you even suppose that because you have sinned, God has forsaken you. I've been there. I get there every other week, it seems like. Sometimes I have repeated these words in my own thoughts. God has forsaken me. God will not deliver me. I've blown it one too many times. Now, our foes can come from a lot of different places. David was facing a physical foe, someone who was close to him, his son, and his trusted counselor, Ahithophel. Sometimes that's true for us also. Our foes are those within our own family or perhaps within the church. You know, it's, it's really a small miracle that the church has survived for 2,000 years. It's the best evidence, I think, alongside the existence of Israel, that God lives. Because when you try to put people together of such diverse backgrounds and differing perspectives and life experiences and bring them together and say to them, you are brothers and sisters in the Spirit of God. And you are to dwell together and to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all. And yet, in spite of those lovely words, we often find, don't we, that foes rise up against us within the body of Christ. People oppose us. People gossip about us. People disagree with what we are trying to do. Sometimes that's the case. Other times it's from people outside of the church who are opposing the work of the gospel. We're opposing our attempts to live a godly life, a life honoring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's our own flesh 
just as with David. David here was experiencing the consequences of his sin. There was no doubt about that. Sometimes our own flesh rises up against us. The spirit is willing, Jesus said, but the flesh is weak. And we do those things that we don't want to do, but we do them anyway. And then finally, on top of all of that, you have your spiritual foes, the powers and the principalities, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places that oppose you, that are trying to deceive you, trying to trip you up, cause you to depart from the faith to fall into sin. All of these things rise up against us. Again, it's only the grace of God that sustains us. And that's what David recognizes here in verse 3. He says, but you, Lord. He takes his eyes here off of his foes, off of his circumstances, off of all of the distress that he is experiencing. He takes his eyes off of all of those things for a moment, and he looks to the Lord. And he says these words, But you, Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, the one who lifts my head. His perspective takes a radical shift when he does this. When he no longer looks at those who are opposing him, either within his close circle or from outside, or even his own self-loathing for the sin that he has committed. He takes his eyes off of all of those things and he puts them upon the Lord and he recognizes that the Lord is a shield about him. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. Now David was a man of war. David understood battle. It began against Goliath, but it continued on throughout his life. He was a man of war. David knew how to use a shield. David understood the glory that came from victory on the battlefield. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, he's slain his ten thousands. David knew what glory was like. David understood what it meant to be exalted, to be placed upon a throne, and to have all of the people look to him, to have his head lifted high. David understood these things. But here in the context of this incredible struggle that he's experiencing with the rebellion of his son Absalom and all those who have joined the rebellion, David takes his eyes off of that and says, you know what, Lord? It's not the shield that I wield. It's not the glory that I possess. It's not the fact that I have been exalted to a high place that will defend me in these circumstances. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You, O Lord, are my glory. You, O Lord, are the one who lifts my head. And that is true for each and every one of us here this morning as well. The Lord is a shield 
about us, protecting us, defending us. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 6, the shield of faith that we put up against the fiery darts of the enemy. Satan, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who goes before the throne of God and accuses us to God. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Because it says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, lives evermore to intercede on our behalf. So every time Satan accuses me, the shield goes up. And Jesus says, covered by my blood. Every sin I commit, the shield goes up. And Jesus says, dealt with, forgiven, put into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. He is a shield about us. And he is our glory. That is to say, he is the one whose presence fills our lives with boldness and with confidence. When Joshua was sent into the land, the Lord said to Joshua, keep this book of the law with you at all times. Meditate upon it day and night. And then wherever you go, wherever your feet touch the ground, I will go before you and I will give you the victory. And he is the one who lifts our heads high. Now this is interesting. He is our encourager. He is our comforter. But the Bible says that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then at the proper time, he will come and lift us up or literally exalt us. So it begins with an attitude of humility, and that's where David is at here. David is not boasting of the strength of his shield or the glory of his throne or the posture of his position, but David is giving all of these to the Lord. He's humbled himself. He's recognized that without God, he can do nothing. He cries out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. So David calls out to the Lord, and the Lord answers from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. This is beautiful. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. So David, in spite of the fact that he is surrounded literally by tens of thousands who are in rebellion against him, he is able to, at night, lie his head down and sleep peacefully, awaking once again, knowing that it is the Lord who has sustained him. He will not fear because the Lord has given him peace. In the midst of the storm, the Lord has given him a great peace. Why does David have this peace? First and foremost, verse 4, because he called out to the Lord. He humbled himself. He said to the Lord, save me. And the Lord answered and said, I will. Be anxious 
for nothing. But in everything, through prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to the Lord. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Cast your cares upon him, church, for he cares for you. He will give you the peace David experienced to where in the midst of a battle that is far beyond your capacity, you will be able to lie down at night and sleep and awake in the morning knowing, as David did, that the Lord's thoughts towards you outnumber the sand of the sea. You ever thought about that? That's what it says in Psalm 139, verse 17. Your thoughts towards me, O Lord, outnumber the sand of the sea. See, David understood that God was constantly attending to his life, fully aware of everything that David was going through, absolutely ready, able, and willing to deliver David. But David had to call out to him. David had to humble himself and acknowledge his need. So when we do that, when we pray and put it in the Lord's hands, we get that peace that passes understanding because we know that we serve a God who loves us enough to give his only begotten son to die on our behalf. If God, his son not sparing, loved us so much, how will he not freely give us all things that we need, Paul wrote to the Romans. So peace comes through prayer. And peace also comes, verse 3, through a recognition, an awareness of the presence of the Lord. Notice, David does not say, but you, O Lord, are enthroned in heaven far above all powers and principalities. He is, that's true, but that's not what David says here. David says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In other words, you are right here where I am. David understood this. The presence of the Lord was with him. And through that presence, there's an experience of peace that we receive. Isaiah writes, you will keep him in perfect peace. Not just peace, but perfect peace. Do you desire that in your life this morning? Do you desire to know a perfect or a complete or a full peace? Isaiah says it comes when we fasten our eyes upon the Lord. When we fix our eyes upon him, he will keep us in perfect peace. When we humble ourselves and call out to him, he will give us a peace that transcends human understanding. That is the kind of peace that allowed David to lie down and to sleep, to wake again, knowing that the Lord would sustain him. You see, you, as a child of God, are absolutely indestructible. You are. You are indestructible in the strength of the Lord and in the power of his might. 
No weapon formed against you will prosper. That's what the Scripture says. Sometimes we get in, in just a tither, just as David did. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? What am I going to do in this circumstance? How am I going to overcome these odds? It's overwhelming. Oh, Lord, you are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Call out to him. And you are indestructible. The Lord will defend you. He will make your cause his cause. Now, there will become a time, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, where things don't seem to go the way you want them to. You've cried out to the Lord. You've fixed your eyes upon him. And yet deliverance does not seem to come. We'll get to that. So David has prayed. He has been calmed. He has this great peace because of prayer, because of the presence of God. And then he calls upon the Lord. Arise, Lord, and deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, this is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of faith in action. He is trusting the Lord and he is saying, Lord, you have heard my prayer from your holy mountain. Arise now and defend me. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. You have the capacity, Lord, and I trust you that you are going to do exactly as you have promised. He's calling the Lord to action, to deliverance. Now, he says, strike all of my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. So often it is the case, especially, I believe, in our experience here in modern-day America, that the battles that we fight, the foes that rise up against us, so often do so through words. People gossiping about us. People making statements about us that, are ill-informed or untrue, but hurtful. I mean, it's happening on the Internet all the time. The trolling that goes on, the hurtful words, the offensive statements that are made. That is why I believe David is saying to strike the enemies on the jaw, to break their teeth, to take the, the impetus out of their speech, to take the power out of their words. In another psalm, David writes, When I am afraid, I will trust in him whose word I praise. What can mere man do to me? And that's a good thought. In the context of your life, how does it balance out? The many foes that have risen up against you versus the awesome, eternal, sovereign God who is for you. What can mere man do to you? What can the words of those who oppose you ever accomplish? See, trials are just the food that faith feeds on. It's just the stuff that increases our trust in the Lord. And when we trust in the Lord, someone once said, we can sleep safely in the mouth of the cannon. 
You are indestructible when you are walking in faith, in trust with the Lord. He will arise and he will deliver you. It says in verse 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. And so God will be your deliverer, but take heed and understand that the deliverance God provides for us does not always align with what we want it to look like. I want to read for you out of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is called the Hall of Faith. It's a a recitation of all of the people who have lived by faith and experienced great victories by faith. And throughout most of the chapter, we read of these triumphant visionaries of faith. But towards the end, the writer says this, who through faith escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, whose women received back, dead, raised to life. Okay, here we go. This is the part that I wanted to get to. I didn't really want to get to it. None of us want to get to this part. But this is the part that you need to understand when we're talking about deliverance and what deliverance can look like. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, some flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The, mount, uh, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised because God had something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So in the hall of faith, there are all of these giants of the faith, literally people who the world was not worthy of, who experienced devastating ends to their lives. But they looked far beyond their lives. Their deliverance still was in the Lord. Paul the Apostle, speaking of his ministry, says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in the country, at sea, also from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, being cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So sometimes deliverance comes in dramatic fashion. Sometimes you will be pulled out of the fire in a dramatic way. But other times, you, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
will have to say, you know what? Even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm still standing with him. Nebuchadnezzar. You'll have to say, just like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You're still being delivered. You are still in God's hands. You see, if the disciples had not gone through the storm on the Sea of Galilee, they would have never heard Jesus say, Peace, be still. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not gone into the fiery furnace, they would never have been introduced to the one who appeared as the Son of God. If Paul had not had his thorn in the flesh, he would have never known what it was like to hear the Lord say, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is perfected in your weakness. How many foes have risen up against me? Some of them are saying there is no hope for him in God. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me. You're my glory. And you are the lifter of my head. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins. And Lord, our hope is in you, whether in this life or in the life to come. We look to the resurrection from the dead. My prayer here this morning for each and every soul who has heard my voice, who has heard these words, who is going through a time of testing, my prayer for them here this morning, Lord, is that they too move their eyes away from their foes, away from their own self-loathing, away from the circumstances that overwhelm them and that they look to you, that they call upon you and that they know your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise and we're going to conclude with that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Amen.